and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm a cute physician working in Coventry and today we have an obstetric physician with us all the way from Wolverhampton. Hi there, Amy. I'm Dr. Prinder. I work as an obstetric physician and also an acute physician. Fantastic. Welcome to the podcast today. Now, you're going to test me, aren't you? I am. And we've got a very interesting case today. So here goes. Fantastic. I've got a 24-year-old woman who's from the Asian subcontinent. She's para three, so she's had three babies before, and she's three days postpartum. She presents to the emergency department with a headache. Now, she actually presented a day before with the same problem, uh, was told she had a migraine and was discharged at that point. But she's represented now, a day later, so three days postpartum with mm-hmm. a headache. So I'll give you a few details about her uh, obstetric history. So she's had three normal vaginal deliveries before. Uh, she had a baby girl this time, but she didn't have an epidural. She's currently breastfeeding and she looking at the notes um sort of her discharge paperwork from maternity it looks like she bled 500 mils but didn't require a blood transfusion i'll give you a little bit about her past medical history and her medication so she does have migraines she has ibs she also was diagnosed with carpal tunnel syndrome in pregnancy Mm -hmm. and she says that she gets pins and needles in her hands Uh, and she takes paracetamol for her migraines and she's on amitriptyline 10 milligrams once a day is migraine prophylaxis Mm -hmm. so um i'm going to take a very clear history now so i need to know a lot more about the headache so did it start suddenly was it a classic thunderclap headache or has it gradually gotten worse over the last few days so that's a really important point she says that it's a generalized sort of severe headache that's been really bad for two days she doesn't describe it as being that typical thunderclap headache. And by that, I sort of mean not just a headache that started suddenly, but one that sort of reached its peak intensity by a couple of minutes. She said it was more sort of insidious than that. Is it associated with neck stiffness? No neck stiffness. Any fever? No fever. Any photophobia? No photophobia. Any visual disturbances? No. Any seizure activity? No. What has she taken for the headache? Question. So she's just taken some paracetamol and she's also taken some dihydrocodone, which again is safe in the postpartum period, particularly if you're breastfeeding. Has that helped at all? It's not helped. Has she ever had a headache like this before? That's a really important point. She says she hasn't. And I think the important thing to establish at this point is how is this headache different Mm. to her usual migraine? Because that was really the original diagnosis. Mm. This is completely different to her normal migraine. So that in itself is a real sort of red flag in the history. Does she usually have migraine with aura? Yeah, so she says that when she has her migraine, it's that typical, she can sense it's about to come on. It lasts about half a day, six to eight hours. And it's usually on the right side of her face Mm -hmm. and her head. Mm -hmm. And she does get visual disturbance and some nausea, but she takes a couple of paracetamol, goes to bed, and it goes away within sort of 10 hours or so. Mm -hmm. And because the migraines were pretty bad in the first trimester, she was actually started on amitriptyline as prophylaxis, um, which again is is one of the things we can use in pregnancy for migraine prophylaxis. So this is completely Mm. different. So has she had any... um nausea and vomiting that would indicate raised intracranial pressure that's a really good point she hasn't 
Okay. Um, any neurological disturbances? Any weakness? She actually says that for the last day, she's had some weakness in her right hand that was just put down to her carpal tunnel, really, that she put down to her carpal tunnel. And when it was mentioned the day prior, nothing was really thought of that. Okay. So I then want to find out, is that pins and needles in the right hand different to a carpal tunnel? Pins and needles or... Is so it? she says it's not exactly pins and needles this time. What she's actually getting is is sort of weakness. She's struggling to sort of um, actually change the baby's nappy and 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 dress the baby. And that's when she's really noticed that her fingers are not quite right. Hmm. It does concern me because the headache is so different from a typical migraine. Now I know that during pregnancy, your the nature of migraines can change. Some people have more frequent migraines, some people have them less frequently. Yeah, so in, in pregnancy, on the whole, most women do actually find, if they're the women that do have migraines, it's, mm. and it's worth noticing that migraine tends to be a disease of younger women. So we do see it quite frequently in pregnancy. But what tends to happen in pregnancy is that most women do get better, and they certainly do get better towards the third trimester and in the postpartum period. But it is worth noting that sometimes some of the triggers for migraine, like sleep deprivation and things like that, (laughs) particularly in not eating possibly so well, you know, that that can happen towards late pregnancy in the postpartum Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to bear in mind. But as you point out, the history that I've sort of given you has got lots of sort of concerning red flags in. That severe headache, no better with analgesia. She has taken some dihydrocodone and opioids can sadly produce that sort of opioid-induced or opioid-overuse headache, mm-hmm. but she says it's it's no better, it's no worse. Okay. I think I'd also like to do a just a systems inquiry. So, you know, cardiovascular history, chest pain, palpitations. So she's she's got no other sort of cardiovascular symptoms. Respiratory. No respiratory symptoms. She says she's she's eating reasonably well. She's not particularly sleep deprived. Is this headache stopping her from sleeping? Yes. Yeah, so she actually says that it's worse when she lies down in bed to go to sleep. Um, but she doesn't have she's not had any trauma or, or anything like that. That's just another important point to add. Does the headache wake her at night? No. Okay. So um, anything abdominal, any discharge down below, any urinary symptoms? So no urinary symptoms. Um, her bleed, her, her bleeding isn't significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so no other symptoms uh, really there. Okay. Hmm. Go on. <laughs> Another important point is, is she perhaps hypertensive and has she been on antihypertensives? Because some of them uh, can cause a headache as well. The antihypertensives. Antihypertensives. Is so that because they vasodilate? Perhaps, but uh, so no, nifedipine can cause it. Yeah. Uh, and if the, if she has hypertensive diseases in pregnancy, such as preeclampsia, that can also cause a headache as well. So yeah. that's the another important point. Okay. Um, She doesn't have any family history, but she is actually adopted, so she doesn't really know. But what she does know, uh, there's nothing really significant there. Mm -hmm. So what I can do now is give you some observations. So just before we go on to observations... Okay. Does she smoke? She doesn't. Any alcohol? No. Any drugs? No. Okay. By drugs, I mean like... 
cocaine or mm. so again a really important point yeah because you know some of these drugs particularly cocaine can cause mm. vasospasm headache and present with headache and chest pain and yeah. things like that Absolutely. but no she's okay. she's not someone who takes drugs but important questions to ask certainly so observations right she has a respiratory rate of 18 yeah blood pressure of 96 over 64 heart rate of 92 saturations of 98 percent on air and a temperature of 37.6 degrees so respiratory rate is on the higher side of normal saturations are fine heart rate's okay blood pressure's a little bit low but that may be normal in the postpartum period and temperature is a little bit high it's also worth looking at trends for blood pressure if you're mm, ever worried and this can sometimes sadly be problematic because increasingly the maternity notes are kept separate from the medical notes <laughs> so it's worth finding out when you see these women liaising with your colleagues in obstetrics mm. to say well actually what's been going on with this woman in in labor in the postpartum period What's been going on in her pregnancy? Has anything arisen? And do you have any blood pressure med- measurements? Which I can guarantee you they will, because most antenatal care, um, at every visit, a woman does have a blood pressure taken and a urine dipped to yeah. look for things like preeclampsia. Yeah. So if you're not sure and you want more information, make sure you know where you work, who is on for obstetrics, how to contact them, and where you can find the notes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll be handheld as well. Women sometimes have apps on their phone and they can actually show you their blood pressure and things themselves. So it's about knowing these things so you know where to look for information. And there is documented in the acute care toolkit, the, is it meows? Yes. So in pregnancy, we use a maternity early warning school and the abbreviation for that is meows. It's slightly different to the news two score and each trust will have their own version of meows. But the thing that it has that the News 2 score doesn't have is to look for things like hypertension, mm-hmm. because hypertension in pregnancy is significant and there are different thresholds to treat. Mm-hmm. Um, because the worry is that a News 2 score may miss someone who has preeclampsia. Anything else on observations that I've missed that I should have asked or talked about? Uh, so she's looking unwell. I think I think okay. a good thing a good thing to do with anyone when they come in is we use that phrase, don't we? Eyeball them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See what they're like. And she she's visibly in pain. She's sat up because she just can't really lie flat, and she's uncomfortable, and she's wanting to go to the toilet. There's there's a clue in there <laughs> that she needs to leave. Well, while you're going to check the blood results, she actually goes off to the toilet. Would you dip a urine while she's in the loo? <laughs> good. Yeah, good thing to do. So let's dip a urine. Yeah. Um, okay. I can tell you that comes back as having three pluses of blood and three pluses of... Two pluses of protein, sorry. So the three pluses of blood, she's postpartum, so it's not unusual for her to have some blood maybe in the urine. And the protein, two pluses of blood, you said. Okay, so I'll bear that in mind. And I'll think about kidneys and obviously you mentioned preeclampsia. She's she's not hypertensive, um, but she's got a bit of protein. So that's going to be in the back of my mind. It's just important to check whether this is also a clean catch of urine because you can get lokia in the postpartum period. uh, And that's quite protein rich. So you just need to know, is this truly urine I'm dipping or is it in fact lokia? That's so you're really right. So there's a lot of blood there and a lot of protein, but I suspect that is all from sort of things that have come out postpartum as opposed to urine. Would you like some blood tests, Amy? I would. Would you? Okay, right. So her haemoglobin is 95. Okay, which is okay. 
her and um, just to recall, she bled 500 mils. So yeah, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't accept that hemoglobin in immediate, you know, in a, any normal female. But she's a couple of days postpartum. Yeah. So in this context, in this context, that would be acceptable for the time being. So her white cells are 8.9. Yeah, platelets 242. Yeah, her MCV 86. Her sodium is 142. Her yeah. potassium 4.1. Urea of 5.6 and creatinine of 62. So they are all completely normal. Yeah, so for pregnancy, yeah, normal. And yes, normal, otherwise. Her ALT is 12. Her ALP is 182. Her bilirubin is 6. Protein Mm. and albumin were normal. So the alkafos is a little bit high. Mm. Okay. But that's probably normal in this early postpartum period. Because you do get a lot of ALP produced by the placenta, Mm -hmm. skeletal bones and the fetus themselves so actually for pregnancy a high ALP is normal but there are sort of gestation specific ranges so also check within your trust okay. but for someone who's who's in the postpartum period um, and if they've had a previously elevated ALP I suspect that is normal so now I've got um, a 24 year old lady who's three days postpartum with a headache, with a history of migraine, and I don't really know what the cause of this headache is. And the blood tests that we've done so far aren't really helping me. So now we need to think about some differentials. We do. So let's bear in mind what the potential differentials could be for headache in pregnancy. So headache in pregnancy, migraine. Migraine, yeah. We know that she's had them in the past, although it's different. That could still be a possibility. Infection. Yep. So think about meningitis. She does have a slight pyrexia at 37.6. Her blood tests are normal. Um, white cell count's normal. Neutrophils and lymphocytes, were they normal? They were normal. Okay, so CRP? The CRP was seven. Okay, so again, doesn't really fit with an infective cause. Post-epidural headache, but she didn't have an epidural. Yeah, so good point. So she didn't have an epidural, Mm. but certainly any sort of dural puncture, be it an epidural or a spinal, definitely worth thinking about things like a post-LP headache. Okay. Um, We've mentioned preeclampsia can cause a headache, a stroke, because she had the weakness in the right arm. So is that something we need to think about? So, yeah. So cerebral infarctions and things can present with weakness. Headache, uncommonly, but it certainly should be up there in our differentials. Yeah. So I'm now going to think about if I was seeing this 24-year-old lady who hadn't had a recent baby. So just treating her exactly the same and what differentials is going through my head. So cluster headache doesn't really fit, though, because it's been continuous for two days and I would expect that more to be 15, 20 seconds. Intense pain on one side, maybe with some lacrimation of the eyes. Um, thinking about tension headache. Yeah. You know, she's just had a baby. Is she exhausted? It's all over the head. So they're really, really key things. I think the important approach when it comes to taking a headache, be it in pregnancy, postpartum or out, is to take the detailed history and identify those red flags as you've been doing. But the other thing I like to do is to try and work out, is this a primary headache disorder or a secondary headache disorder? So you've quite nicely talked about migraine, tension headache, cluster headache, all primary headache disorders. And we're quite confident really that with this history, it's not a primary headache disorder. Mm 
So let's talk about sort of secondary causes of okay. headache. So you mentioned strokes, yes. cerebral infarctions. Another condition that's really important to consider, as it also happens to be a condition of young women, and t- typically women who are young who um, have got an increased BMI, mm-hmm. is idiopathic yeah. intracranial hypertension. Yeah. So that sometimes can present de novo in pregnancy or women with that condition may find they get worse towards the end of pregnancy Mm. as their weight gain increases. And as we know with IIH, as we abbreviate it to, that presents with a generalised headache and those signs of raised intracranial pressure, so vomiting, feeling worse when you lie down, uh, blurred vision, vision, uh, and you may find papilledema on examination. Mm. So... Just to consider that in the differential as well is really important. Absolutely. And then we've got lots of other secondary causes. Subarachnoid hemorrhage? Yes. It doesn't, again, fit the picture. It wasn't a sudden thunderclap headache, the worst that she'd ever had. Um, and it's been going on for two days now. Yeah, and... but subarachnoid hemorrhage is an important differential mm. to consider in mm. pregnancy because you are at greater risk in the third trimester and in the postpartum period when the hypertension and the maternal cardiac output is at its greatest. Um, So it is an important differential to consider, Mm. but like you said, it doesn't quite fit. Okay. Um, Other secondary causes? So other secondary causes um, can include a condition that is linked to preeclampsia, and this is very pregnancy specific. So there's a condition called posterior reversible encephalopathy, mm-hmm. uh, and that typically is associated with hypertension, but it can present with a severe headache, seizures and blindness because of vasogenic Gosh. edema. And it actually does, you can see the findings on an MRI scan. It's very characteristic. You can see this cerebral edema. Um, and the treatment of it is actually just controlling the hypertension. And most women do actually get better with this. But it's just knowing that this condition exists mm. is probably really important for our listeners because they may not have heard of it before. Is the blindness reversible? Yes. So usually as the cerebral edema settles with antihypertensive treatment, as the visual loss also improves. And for the antihypertensive of choice, would you go for your centrally acting ones like methyl dopa? So I tend not. So I tend to use things like I suppose it's patient dependent, really. Right. So um, if I want to control the blood pressure, I'd want to do it in a in a very controlled manner, monitoring it very closely. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably use something like IV hydralazine if I if I didn't if I if I could. Mm-hmm. I tend not to use methyl dopa in the postpartum period okay. because. Um, it does have a large side effect profile, including sort of low mood. So I certainly wouldn't want to give that to a woman in the postpartum period because it may increase the risk of things like postpartum depression. Absolutely. Okay, makes complete sense. Okay. Any other differentials you want to consider as secondary causes? Uh, thrombosis. So thrombosis is up there? Yeah, cerebral vein thrombosis. So? Because she's postpartum, she's going to be hypercoagulable. um, And that's definitely something that I'd also want to think about. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Um, Thrombosis risk is increased during pregnancy, but particularly in the third trimester and in the early postpartum period. Mm. The other thing to think about is sort of carotid uh, carotid artery dissection. Yeah, that's normally... Do you get that normally in road traffic accidents? You can get it in road traffic accidents. So you can get it with very minimal trauma or or hypertension alone. And it's usually characterised by severe irretractable neck pain and a severe generalised headache. So it's just another one of those differentials to be up there. As well as things like 
infection and, and meningitis and, and we mentioned in the history there's no sort of signs of meningism mm. or infection mm. okay okay so we need to really think about what other investigations are yeah so we've sort of ruled out the primary oh, hang, hang on a minute, minute amy you're just called because while she's in the toilet she's collapsed and someone's found her fitting on the floor <laughs> okay so um i'm going to approach make sure it's safe to approach um, a, B, C, D, E. The nurse says she, she had a tonic-clonic seizure for about a minute. Okay. Her airway is patent. Yeah. Her respiratory rate, moving on to B now, her respiratory rate is 12 breaths a minute. Yeah. Saturations of 100%. Now she's on a 15 litres of a non-rebreathe. Yeah. Um, oxygen. Her capillary refill is three seconds. Her blood right. pressure is 100 over 62. Right. Heart rate of 84. Yeah. Um, and her GCS is sort of worked out and her GCS, she's got a GCS of around 11. E2, M5, V3. And someone's done a glucose and a glucose yes. is 6.1. Okay, so again, I'm going to try and put aside the fact that she's postpartum when I'm managing her because I know that when I am looking after pregnant or postpartum women, I panic more than I probably should. So I'm just going to... I'm fully aware that she is postpartum, but I need to manage her as appropriately as possible. Very worried about this GC, GCS of 11. She's had a seizure. Has she had a seizure because she's eclamptic? Um, although her blood pressure is normal. She yeah. did have protein in the urine, which could be explained by another yeah. cause. Um, has she had a bleed? So that's really important. So examining her tummy, yeah. no evidence of anything bleeding there and certainly no evidence of bleed, visible bleeding um, around. So she's not tender okay. um, and no overt bleeding found, but okay. important point. What are her pupils like? Ah, so good question. Her pupils are probably about size three and equal? they're responsive and they're equal. Okay, so has she had an intracranial bleed? Good point. So what, what would you like to do? So... Um, First of all, I need to make sure that she's stable. So that her blood pressure's stable, respiratory rate's stable, glucose we know is fine. Worried about the GCS. So again, that's something I'm gonna keep a very close eye on. Continuously do neurological observations every 15 minutes to start off with. Um, I'm gonna do an ECG actually. Yeah, so good call. Her ECG is done and it's normal sinus rhythm. Okay, so there are some ECG changes you can get with a subarachnoid hemorrhage. You can get global ST elevation. Um, it's an unusual finding, but again, it's something to think about. Um, but she's not tachycardic, you say. So um, I need to scan her head. So what sort of scan would you like? So... Um, Bear in mind the differentials that we spoke about. Okay, so my differentials are going to be um, subarachnoid hemorrhage. Yeah. Are going to be cerebral thrombosis, yeah. cerebral vein thrombosis, um, stroke. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned um, preeclampsia, pres. Yeah, so, okay. Um, unlikely because her blood pressure's normal, yeah. but she's had this seizure activity. It's unlikely to be primary epilepsy, isn't it, that's caused this seizure. But um, it's an important differential to be, mm, to, for it to be there. Yeah. But a seizure and a headache is very unusual for epilepsy. Yeah. But, but yeah, so it's something important to think about. But Okay, so um, I guess it depends where you work and the availability of the scans that you've yeah. got. So for the stroke and, um, and the subarachnoid hemorrhage, for the stroke, a plain CT head would be valid um, if, if I could get it quickly. Yeah. Um, 
To look for subarachnoid hemorrhage, ideally you need to do a plain CT head within six hours of the onset of headache. After this, you really need to be doing a CT um, angiogram, really to have a look for any signs of a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Um, for cerebral vein thrombosis, I need to be doing a venogram. So actually, I'm... I could do many things. You could do many things. And I suppose this is something that we need to just think about in the context of where we work and what's available and who's around to support us. So in this case, the first thing I would do is certainly call my colleagues in obstetrics um, to liaise with them, explain what's going on, because I just may need some perspective and support from the other side. Yeah, absolutely. So it's phoning a friend, really, and finding out who who you can call. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I would do is certainly call the anaesthetist because this woman has got a GCS of 11. She's just got a severe headache. She's had a fit and I want to take her into a scanner of some description. And I just want to make sure that she's in a safe place with with people around her that can look after her. Yep. So... And I'd speak to the radiologist. Yeah, absolutely. And find out what you can get quickly and what they're comfortable reporting. Yes. Um, because it all hinges on the report as well. Um, if someone yeah. is skilled and, are, and able to be around and report the scan. So what yeah. we opted to do in this instance was to do both this plain CT head and a CT venogram okay. because the radiologist was happy to do that. And, we, and the best thing about it was we were able to do that within 10 minutes. Wow. Um, the CT okay. scanner in, in the place where this patient one is, is right next to the emergency department. Yeah. Uh, and the scan was be able to be reported quickly. And also, the logistics of taking someone across to a CT if they're hooked across to many machines is, is a lot easier than an MRI scan. But if you are able to get a quick MRI, it, it's not a bad shout. But a CT venogram and an MR venogram, no real difference if you're looking for a sinus thrombosis. Okay. And certainly, if this woman was still pregnant in the third trimester, I wouldn't be worried about doing any sort of form of CT radiation to her head or doing an MRI, both tests are safe. Okay. I guess it depends on what the patient's comfortable having, yeah. doesn't it? And I think that's also really important as well because a lot of patients um, struggle with MRI scanning. It can be quite loud, claustrophobic, and particularly if they're very gravid, it, it might be technically a little bit challenging, yeah. although it is just a, a head, uh, an MRI head scan. Yeah. So she had a CT venogram and it showed that there was a large thrombosis in the sagittal sinus, as well as some cerebral infarcts bilaterally, which would explain why she had some hand weakness. Gosh. So what we did was we gave her some anticoagulation. We gave her low molecular weight heparin at treatment dose um, in the postpartum period, which is 1.5 milligrams per kilogram daily. Uh, and eventually, four days down the line, switched her over to warfarin, which is perfectly safe in breastfeeding. We also started this woman on some anti-epileptics, and our anti-epileptic of choice was levetiracetam, which is safe in breastfeeding, mm-hmm. given that she's had seizures. And on follow-up, her neurology findings had completely resolved, and she's now under the care of the haematologists, who um, are looking into why this potentially mm-hmm. happened. Very interesting case. What that's the question I've got is why did this lady have a thrombosis with the cerebral infarcts? That's so you can get some cerebral infarcts after a significant uh, sagittal sinus thrombosis. So um, that can happen. Why it happened in the first place, um, I suppose we we don't know yet. 
pregnancy is a procoagulable state, yeah, so absolutely. it could be due to pregnancy alone, but um, she may have some additional risk factors. So once a treatment period is complete, mm. that will be delved into um, a little further. Mm. Okay. And so she's had treatment with low molecular weight heparin, you said, and then she went on to warfarin, which is safe during postpartum breastfeeding, but it's definitely not safe during pregnancy because it can be teratogenic. Absolutely, which is why when we switched her across to warfarin, we made sure that she knew that she had to be on robust contraception and should not conceive whilst whilst on warfarin. So I guess my top tips really for headache in pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, and actually for headache in general. Yeah. I think it takes, I mean, certainly when I was a medical registrar, I found headache quite tricky. Which are the headaches I need to be worrying about? <laughs> yes. And what, which headaches do I not need to be worrying about? So I kind of stick to uh, knowing what the red flags are. And those red flags are that sudden onset mm. headache that reaches peak intensity with a minute. Mm. Headache with fever, headache with meningism. An orthostatic headache, one that gets worse when you stand up or worse when you lie down. Um, Headache with neurological Mm. findings and visual disturbance or a headache that is different Mm. for a woman or a person who has headaches. Any trauma. And and the other thing is, a headache that's worse with a valsava is always a sign of raised intracranial pressure. That's where I was leading you, that when she was on the toilet. Oh, yeah. I see. And then... I didn't didn't even think Yeah, and then the other things to think about is what what medication are they on? What's their family history? Um, Is there a history of bleeds or thrombosis? And then the other thing I have in my head is, okay, is this a primary headache disorder? Is this a secondary headache disorder? And then... Where, where 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 will a woman be safe? Is she in the right mm. place? And, and what imaging should I get? Mm. And is it the correct imaging? Um, and do I need additional help? Do I need my obstetrician? Do I need my anaesthetist? Yeah. Absolutely. I think they're all very valid points. And I've definitely taken away the well or unwell and the primary or secondary causes of headache. It's really important to differentiate between the two. Um Thank you so much for bringing that case to us today. Um, I've definitely got some things that I'm going to take away from it. Um, Just got one question about lumbar punctures. Mm. Are lumbar punctures safe in the postpartum? So, good question. So, safe to do in pregnancy. The important things to know is just what medication they're on to make sure they're not on low molecular weight heparin, Mm -hmm. antiplatelets, etc. And that's just important to know in the postpartum period. So, Mm -hmm. some women... um, will be on low molecular weight heparin from a certain point in their pregnancy until the postpartum period if they're at high risk for VTE. So what our obstetrician colleagues do exceptionally well is when women are pregnant or they book their pregnancy, they assess their risk for venous thromboembolism. Mm -hmm. And for some women, that means they're on low molecular weight heparin throughout. For some women, it's for 28 from 28 weeks onwards till 10 days postpartum. Mm. So that's why it's just really important to know. Um, But yeah, theoretically you can do lumbar punctures in pregnancy and in the postpartum period. But important points to just question is, has the woman had an epidural Mm. or a spinal procedure lately? If we're thinking about, is that the cause for it? Mm. And and was that difficult? Was that traumatic? Mm. And actually, is this someone that you may need help from our anaesthetic colleagues to, to undertake or whether you should be doing it in the first place, really? Yeah.
absolutely okay so um also um you can refer back to two of our previous podcast episodes to lp or not to lp and that covers whether we should be doing lumbar punctures in headaches and also we've got an episode on meningitis on the acute take and actually some of these things are covered in those episodes so it's probably worth a recap on those um there's also a very good green top guideline published by the royal college of obstetricians about uh, venous thromboembolism and the risk factors and who they do and they don't anticoagulate during pregnancy yeah i think other references i think our, re- our listeners may find useful is the acute care toolkit um, that's been produced by the Royal College of Physicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, And within that toolkit are some flowcharts that will help people when they come to assess women in pregnancy or the postpartum period with headache. Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you very much for bringing that case to us today. And thank you to everybody for listening to today's podcast. If you want to get in touch, email at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or tweet me at Amy Burbridge. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.